Welcome to Get Behind Fanny, a podcast dedicated to the behind-the-scenes stories of the music, the members, and the musicians influenced by the rock group Fanny, the godmothers of women who rock. Hey, everybody, and welcome to another Get Behind Fanny podcast. I'm Byron Wilkins, Fanny fan and webmaster for the official Fanny website, FannyRocks.com. And joining me on these audio ventures are Fanny's drummer, Alistair Buer, and the daughter of Fanny's manager, Roy Silver, and historian, Dr. Kristen Hilaire Glasgow. Hello, ladies. Hello, Byron. Byron. I have a, a story to tell that from it kind of circles back to the um, last podcast when we were talking mm-hmm. about recording Mother's Bride. Mm-hmm. Sure. And um, when I was in second grade and I started playing drums in school band, you had rudiments that you had to learn. You had to learn the long roll, the slow, short roll, um, mm, okay. flams, flamadiddles, paradiddles. <laughs> Blah, 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 right? <laughs> Sorry, I just laugh at things. Okay, yes, anyway. Yeah, well, um, after the story about the uh, pasties, yes. um, one of our friends, a, a fan, I call him a friend because I feel so close to him, really. He's a friend. Uh, Jim, yeah, Jim Noonan <clears throat> left a comment on the website, on the comment section, which is open to anybody who wants to respond, but I'd like to read the exchange back and forth if that's okay, because it sure. just it cracked me up. <laughs> so he starts out with, great episode, gang. Thanks. I was reminded that way back in episode one, I asked Alice what uncharted waters of drumming remain to be conquered. And I was very pleased to discover in this episode the revelation of an entirely new drum rudiment. One that even George Stone failed to pick up on in his on in his damn book. I'm talking, of course, of Alice's hilarious story of twirling pasties and her invention of the paratiddle. <laughs> the paratiddle is similar to the familiar paratiddle, but played with slightly different sticking. It's <clears throat> Right, left, nipple, nipple, left, right, nipple, nipple. <clears throat> I hope to add paratiddles to my practice routine immediately, despite not being exactly equipped to play them. May the groove be with you, Jim. And I wrote, I wrote back, I'm wetting my pants, and I have to finish this response after I change. I'll be right back. You kill me. And he, he responded, I do what I can. And I said, an hour later, I got back. I said, okay, pants are dry. I love the new rudiment for drummers everywhere and highly recommend it. In fact, I plan, with your permission, to share it with our podcast fans on the next episode. How can I not shine a light on your excellence? It's too perfect. Love, Alice. He responded, I'd be honored. In fact, just last night, I tried to do a double breaststroke roll and nearly gave myself a concussion. <laughs> Insert rim shot right there. Thank you, Byron. Yes. Oh, and that's I love that about this podcast is the the human nature and the senses of humor yeah. that are out there with people who love Fanny and are having fun along with us on this podcast. It just is oh, yeah. worth Every bit of the work, I'm loving it. I am too. And I have to say that there was, uh, on Twitter, there's a podcast and Fanny fan named Aaron. And he tweeted out, thank you for keeping us abreast on this, Alice. So... (laughs) (laughs) 
<laughs> so yes, <laughs> the fun yeah. continues. <laughs> yeah, that's good, Kristen. <laughs> so we're going to introduce today's podcast, which is okay. the first time we've done this on the Get Behind Fanny podcast. And it's to dedicate it to one of our podcast fans and Fanny fans. And his name is Nigel Langridge. You've probably heard that name if you've listened at all to our episodes. And Alice and I came up with a kind of a birthday bakery corner idea, which means that when it's your birthday, we will give you a shout out. If we have time and room, we will do two songs for you. Nigel, mm -hmm. in this case, picked You're the One and Place in the Country. And we also want to give a shout out belatedly to you, Alice. Happy birthday. Oh, thank you. <laughs> my, thank you. My friend, Mike Rulo, happy birthday. And Gloria, happy upcoming birthday. Upcoming. Yes. So Nigel, too, his birthday is the end of September. And the 26th. The 26th. And, yeah. and the reason why he picked You're the One in Place in the Country, and I'll read it to you, he said, quote, I chose the slinky You're the One, the first track I ever heard of Fanny from the old gray whistle test, and Place in the Country, and then he added the beat club footage, and that cemented, all caps, my love for all things Fanny. Wow. Isn't cool. That cool. So yeah. this is a birthday podcast to Nigel and to Alice, Mike, Gloria, and anybody else out there. And Byron, let's hear a little of the intro to You're the One to Set the Stage. That is, it really does slink, doesn't it? It's yeah. slinky. It's, it's a very sexy <laughs> intro. It really is. And yep. and when I spoke to Jean this week, she had another secret to share with the Fanny fans. So let's listen to the first clip. I think this, it started with the bass part really in the beginning. Dun, 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 dun. You know, it started with that as a basis. It was a just a little basing I was fooling around with. And for the fans... Just so they know that dun, 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 da, da, da. I'm playing da, da, the seventh and the tonic at the same time. Doesn't sound like on, on the recording, but I am playing two notes at the end of the riff. So just just for anybody who wants to explore that. I had no idea. Did you know that, Alice? No, and she, Jeannie has all kinds of little secrets that she's been keeping from us. <laughs> you know? Well, I love that. Exactly. <laughs> yeah. I've, I've been listening to that song since I was three and a half, and I had never heard that until she brought it up. Well, I don't know anything about Seventh and Tonic, so, you know, I'm not going to hear it. <laughs> Unless it's on the rocks. Right. You're on, par you're on paratittles. You're not... Yeah. <laughs> But, yeah. it, but, it, but it makes sense. Gene came from playing guitar to bass. Yeah. So she'd be used to fingering chords. So doing a first, uh, the, the tonic is the root, the first note of the, of the scale. Mm -hmm. So she's playing the first and the seventh. 
and mm. and uh, so it make make perfect sense. She knows how to do that. Yeah. Uh, normally, us bass players are not smart enough to do that, but <laughs> but Gene was. Yeah, well, I want to hear it again. Would you two mind? No, no, not, not at, at all. all. This is cool stuff. <laughs> Yeah, it's a great bass line. Yeah, it really is. Yeah, that that bass line drives that whole song. Well, when I spoke to Jean and June this week about the song, I love what they both had to say in terms of the rhythm of it. So let's have a listen. The Go song ahead. is a shuffle, you know, and shuffles are hard to come by. Good shuffles are really hard to come by. So that was a great tune to add to the album. Yeah, you know, I don't really remember that much about who wrote what part of the lyrics, and you know, ooh, baby, and uh, I can make you, what, come to me? Run to me, run, run to me. Come and then run. Maybe that's your, ver- uh, uh, maybe those are your words, Jean. Yeah, I think they are. And the thing yeah. is, I can make you come, and we both giggle and giggle and giggle because we put those <laughs> lyrics in. <laughs> Double entendre, just like Fanny, wow. Yeah. <laughs> And when I spoke to both Jean and June about this, they were so surprised at the popularity of the song, including that it's continued the popularity until today. I can and understand Jean, that. Tell me I, why. I mean, Jean called it a sleeper song, but tell well, me why you see that. Because I didn't like this song. <laughs> it, oh. was, it was hard to play. So I understand that it's not something that got, got played very often. You know, it's kind of quiet back there, you know, but it's, you listen to it. It's, it's a cool song. Does it sound different in 2020 years, as we're calling it? Yes, it certainly does. <laughs> it does. Well, and I come from a lyric background as a songwriter myself, and I wanted to talk to Jean about the lyrics and June, but um, specifically Jean on what she had in mind. So let's listen to that, Byron. And so the other thing that I was thinking about with the song as I was preparing for our interview today, since we last spoke about Soul Child, and I, in a... In a way I see this song is the antithesis to Soul Child in the sense of how each woman, girl, is learning how to handle her way in the world. So in Soul Child, you're giving advice about or telling how she's playing games and how to tease and coerce a partner without gratification. Whereas You're the One is almost this opposite of a bold, provocative, and yet equally sensual song about the idea of pleasure and pleasing in an authentic way. So that in, in saying you're the one, I don't want to play a game, so let's get right down to it, versus the lyric in Soul Child, don't try to please her, she'll bring you down at the wrong time. That's true. I mean, it's very direct. I mean, what's the statement? You are the one. 
you know, I thought that was good, uh, a real positive song, even though some of the lyrics are tongue-in-cheek, but it's a real positive message, I think. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I agree. And, Kristen, I really liked, I mean, you can hear the historian, but you can also hear your background in music with that comparison, the, the, the fact that you can see that as the antithesis to Soul Child is just brilliant. Oh, thanks, uh-huh. Alice. Thank you. Well, before I went back to graduate school, as I mentioned, I was a singer and a songwriter, and I was signed to Warner Brothers Publishing when I was 15 years old to 18 wow. years old. Yeah. Wow. Just and, a um, child. <laughs> just a wee child. Um, but uh, being a lyricist, that's why I love Nikki's lyrics. I love June and Jean's lyrics on Fanny, and I really appreciate what they did on this song. I, not only was it tongue-in-cheek, but it was quite clever. So let's listen to more of what Jean had to say on her bass line. Cool. So Jean, you said that this stemmed from a bass jam that you were doing. So I'm assuming... A little bass lick, not a jam, a lick I was fooling around with. And so were the lyrics intentional for anybody in particular, or just were you going off of the, the, as Nigel called it, the slinkiness of the bass sound? I think we're just going for it uh, theoretically about the you're the one. It wasn't about a specific person, I don't think. But here you are, it's individualistic. You're actually talking to someone or you're giving the impression that you are. And therefore, it's got a lot of power. And also, we were, in the lyric, we say, I'm as cold as ice and mm-hmm. hot as the sun. So we're saying, I can be two ways, but still, yeah. you're the one. And that's think- interesting, because it ties in again to Soul Child versus You're the One, because in Soul mm-hmm. Child, she's between the sheets and cold as ice, and yet never is hot as the sun. Mm, yeah. So in a way, you're giving you're giving you're the one, the woman, and you're the one a lot more power. June's guitar sound on that lead is is dynamite. She really yeah. nailed it. This is a little bit of a transition, but in terms of Nigel having first seen you're the one on the Grey Whistle test, do either of you have memories of recording the song for the for the show or any of that? Vague memories of being on the old Grey Whistle test. I mean, when I saw the clip years later, I thought, oh, we sound pretty good. It's a live it was a live session. You know, so I thought I was really good considering it's kind of not a difficult song to play, but you know, it's a little trickier than a rock and roll like Charity Ball is a real straight ahead. You're the one is not. So I was pretty impressed with our performance of that. I don't really remember recording it. Now, with respect to the BBC, uh, the thing I like about that is we're playing it seriously. You know, we're not, you know, 
Uh, other bands maybe would have like kind of smirked at each other, or, you know, let, let you know that they knew what the words were about. But actually we were into playing and the presenting the song at musically as best as we could. And I do really like that part of it. In terms of recording for the studio, I, I don't remember a whole lot. And that's probably because we've been jamming on it for so long. We just simply just performed it, just did it. It wasn't like... Uh, we had to work too hard, I don't think, you know? I mean, when, when you jam on something like that, which is completely seductive, that the vibe of you're the one, you kind of just get lost in it. And so we were able to do that in the studio, I'm, I'm pretty sure not not be too, whatever it is, left brain or right brain about it, you know, think mm -hmm, about it too mm -hmm. much, we just did it. Well, I do remember the old gray whistle test. Um, the studio was in the basement at the BBC we mm. did not play live. Um, that was the first time. And I thought the UK was advanced in, on one hand because I had done, you know, fake drumming on American television. But they came up with these rubber cymbals mm. and hi-hat cymbals, uh, rubber pads for my drums. I think they even took the beater off of my kick drum and I look, when I look back at that footage, I am miserable. I am in a pissy mood. <laughs> just like, yo, I hate this. I hate this. You know? Shitty. <laughs> yeah, shitty. Exactly. <laughs> yeah. So, Alice, this is like your version of the French footage and when June had the unpleasant experience that we discussed in episode six, right? Yes. Yep. <laughs> yep. And as for Jean remembering it live, in her defense, I want to say it's because they did the vocals live, whereas you correct. had to be quiet, right? Right. Yeah, that's correct. That's absolutely correct. Hmm. They, they sang it live and I had to be quiet so that they could hear the track to sing along with. But it's interesting, the Old Grey Whistle Test was a quite a popular show in the UK, and nobody in the United States really understands it. But the way that the Old Grey Whistle Test got its name, and this is only in the UK, I mean, you could, it, it's so British, they called <laughs> the janitors the Old Greys. Hmm. Oh. And if, oh, because they wore the, gray uniforms. Yeah, 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 yeah. And if the janitors could whistle, if they were whistling a song that had been performed, on the old gray or taped the night before, they knew it was going to be a hit. So it was the old gray whistle test, oh, which wow. I think is just great. Yeah. That's so I cool. Never knew that. That's yeah. Cool. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. A fun story. And, and, you know, I'm going to guess, I'm just going to throw this out there that those old grays whistled the song. I'm just going to say it. Well, at least, we know. <laughs> <laughs> at least we know that Nigel, who was born way after this performance, Nigel was hooked. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so he's been whistling the song ever since. So I wanted to hear also from Jean about Nigel's loving You're the One. So let's play that. And yet, isn't it yeah, amazing well, we that you have at least one fan, if not many, 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 who this particular performance influenced his whole being, Nigel, mm -hmm. as he said, Fanny now is hardwired hard into his brain the way the Beatles, Led Zeppelin, The Who, and every other band he admires with all of his heart is there and from that mm -hmm. one performance. That, that's, that's incredible. That's wonderful that he got, somehow he got it from us, w what we were playing and, and meaning, you know. And the, the band, Fanny, I mean, the more I listen to uh, the old tracks, because I didn't listen to Fanny for years and years, but now it's come to the forefront. I'm listening to Beat Club and listening to Old Grey Whistles. I'm like, gosh, we were actually pretty damn good. 
is what I'm seeing now. So I'm glad he could get the message from watching that on the old gray whistle test. Sends it. Yeah. <laughs> just barely. Just barely. You can hear it. Yeah. Got listen close. <laughs> well, Nikki's keyboard, I thought that uh, oh. on that last verse or after the last verse, when she switched to the electric piano, to mm-hmm. give it that mm-hmm. different keyboard sound, the, co- yep. the chords that she chose to play um, complemented, but yet it was kind of all over, you know, and, and it, it just great. I loved it. Loved it. Mm-hmm. I agree. Yeah. yeah. And I, and I've talked to Nikki in the past uh, about her playing keyboards because I, I played bass and I also took piano lessons and stuff like that. So I asked her, you know, how she learned it. And she just said she's self-taught, wow. which blows me wow. away. Yeah. yeah, yeah. That yeah. blows me away, too. Yeah. Well, and I, I love the style of her playing on the song. Mm-hmm. It's very honky-tonk, if you will. It's yeah. got a great flavor to it. It's, very, it's again, pioneering for Fanny. This is pre-Leonard Skinnerd with that piano playing on it. And... In Nigel's second song for his birthday podcast, he picked Nikki's song Place in the Country, which is, again, her keyboards on this are fantastic. So let's transition to Place in the Country. And we had talked in episode seven about Nikki's song Blind Alley and how many had seen this song after the fact as a feminist anthem, which was not Nikki's intention at all, even if it was a revolution in her mind. But the song (laughs) Place in the Country has also been misinterpreted or given a layer that maybe she did not have the intention of being, most especially that it had to do with Vietnam. Right. So let's set up the first clip of Place in the Country and take it from there. You got it.
Fantastic. And when I spoke to June about this, I loved her answer. June, too, afterwards. Let's listen to June first. Well, I dug the groove. I mean, I'm a groove girl, you know, so um, I understood what she was laying out. Uh, and the my guitar part was actually in Nikki's piano part. So I basically mm. just stole that and put it into the secret center of whatever the song is, you know, mm. which has a lot of syncopated um, activity. You know, that's quite a melody. Um, and it, it leads right into the, um, also the syncopated phrasing of singing verse. They all kind of speak to each other. And that's definitely what I was responding to, because that is my favorite thing. You know, when you have the rhythms um, internally, having this internal language that, of course, everyone is feeling, while they're hearing the words and while they're hearing, you know, uh, Nikki and Jean and Alice definitely represented the parts. I mean, there's only four of us creating that. So we got to the center of what is the least amount that you can play that's gonna express this great song. And I think we, we got that. When we learned the song, it wasn't, there was no, I don't have any recollection of Nikki saying this is about Vietnam. It was just, oh, wouldn't it be great when you're, when you're really unhappy or whatever, that you could have a place in the country to go to. I think that was the only intention of it. I think it's pretty wonderful that it turned out that it was an inspirational song to a lot of guys in Vietnam. We had no idea, but that's what turns out it is. They, they were inspired by lyrics. You know, um, I caught in the current and I'm going down. Ain't got a will and I'm about to drown. Hoping to forward all my bags of town. <laughs> you know, but I thought mm -hmm. the lyrics, she, she really got great lyrics in the song about um, all the, you know, how hopeless it can be, but how, in, in the meantime, what I can be okay in a place in the country, place in the country, you know, that was what the whole thing was. It's about an idealistic place for us to go to when we're not in a good way. And as a old country boy myself, <laughs> um, you farmer, you. Um, that's right. Little, well, I haven't been on a farm since I was 10, yeah. so it's been a long time. But a um, little trivia back in April of 1970 was the first Earth Day uh, that took place. Mm -hmm. And uh, the younger generation, us baby boomers, were becoming concerned with the environment even way back then. And this, in my opinion, triggered a lot of interest in living out in the country, you know, kind of where the air was clean and all that crap. Uh, groups like Three Dog Night and Paul McCartney all had songs about living in the country around this time period. Uh, I'm not sure if ecology, you know, was what influenced Nikki at the time, but there was a definite spike in interest in living in the country during the time she wrote this song. So I'm not sure. I, well, I, to me, it, I feel more <laughs> like the if you listen to the lyrics of the whole song, um, and you say some somebody's put the heat on me. Who could it be? There's that mm -hmm. paranoia that comes in again, with mm -hmm. you know. So and a place in the country. I don't know that Nikki really wanted a place in the country because um, she okay. was she was so urban, if you will. Yeah, you know. Yeah. Hmm. Okay. I, I also think yeah, Nikki as a lyricist was very 
subtle and clever in her writing. She was way mm-hmm. too smart to be that yeah. obvious yeah. with having yes. just one meaning. <laughs> <laughs> there yeah, would be yeah. layers of meaning. And I just have to say, being nerdy historian here, okay, you know, it might have been idealistic if you were, let's say, white during this time and had a place to go to the country. But think mm-hmm. about the same time that Place in the Country is coming out that Fanny has, is performing. Marvin Gaye's What's Going On came out almost at the same time. Yeah. So mm-hmm. he too was talking about war and conflict and ecology, but not necessarily yeah. only in Vietnam, but in the American inner cities. Yes. So, sure. And I think Nikki would have been fully aware of everything that was going on and understood oh, the context. Yeah. 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 And we certainly had, you know, fans that were in the military. I mean, that's Mm -hmm. obvious from the old days. But, you know, I'm sure that a lot of them co-opted that song um, on their own. And we didn't know about it until many years later. Mm. I I agree with you. And when I spoke to June, she had a great story to tell on this. So let's listen. Well, she really spit those lyrics out. So there's really uh, that, you know, she's in a way hoping for a place of the country, but she's so pissed that she's stuck where we were, we, she was, you know, and I remember his name is Dave Prue and he was in the Marines. He told us that there was the, the definitely the favorite song of his company or whatever that was. And, and also that we were to them, mom and apple pie. And I thought that was really an incredible statement, you know, that, we, Fanny, had become mom and apple pie to the Marines whom he was serving with in Vietnam. I think that means really a lot. I, I find a lot of solace in that. And I definitely, definitely, when I hear it or, you know, I think of doing it or whatever, I do think of Viet- Vietnam and I do think of the song as a sort of an anthem for the times and Vietnam in particular. And also... I've got to say, you know, in listening to the Beat Club and also to the live recording, Cleveland in 71, 72, I think it was. I mean, the musicianship on that track just actually blows me away at this point. I'm really listening to all this, what Alice was playing, you know, how syncopated now in, in time she was in June's guitar part. It was just incredible. And when I listen back to it now, because when at the time when we were playing, um, doing live gigs and all that. Mostly, probably, I was focused on singing the vocal, making sure my bass part was okay, and, you know, not really listening to the, all the specific stuff, the parts that we're all playing. But now I'm so far away from that time and going to listen to the keyboard part and the uh, guitar part especially, you know, which is pretty amazing. But all those rhythms put together that's a really, you know, it's like uh, listening to records of Santana or something, uh, how, how the music is really syncopated in that way. I, I'm really proud of what we did, actually. You know, and the way that essentially the, the song is crafted, really simply, if you break it apart, it's a repeated sort of ostinato part. What I'm doing, what Gene's doing, Nikki's in the middle, you know, firing up on all cylinders. And that allows uh, Alice to really express herself in the way that she did uh, on that song, which is pretty damn groovy, I say so myself. (laughs) You know, she's really rocking it. And she never plays anything really straight the whole time. You know, she's always expressing herself and she really expresses herself incredibly well. Waiting through the hot crowd, laughing at him out loud, run, dance, 
Yeah, that's wow. I'm playing double time on the hi hat through most of that song. Um, the rest of the song sounds really syncopated and everything, but I'm just doing the double time on the hi hat. But uh, we start. Well, all of you were really grooving, yeah. as June said. Yeah, we were definitely <laughs> grooving. You know. Oh yeah. And years earlier, when I mentioned before, a little bit earlier, that we had you know played that we had military fans, we started out. Um, we played at Fort Ord, Stillwell Hall, and uh, we got love notes, get us out of here. So we had a connection with the military from an early point on, and I'm not surprised that they picked up on this song. Absolutely. And, and those were the GIs. And Alice, can you talk a little bit about the response by the MPs? Yeah. The, well, the MPs, number one, we had to put, park our bus near the MP station because they did want to get off base with us. But when we were performing, Stillwell <laughs> Hall held probably three to 4,000 GIs. And wow. they were wow. sitting at tables, you know, dining tables. And we were playing a lot of Motown. And the black, this was their last stop before Vietnam. You got to understand wow. that they were they were being shipped to Vietnam by the plane load, and yeah. they would want to get up and dance to some of those grooves from Motown. And the MPs would come and they'd push them down. And if they got back up again, they'd take their baton out and they'd beat them down. Oh, jeez! Yeah, it's not pretty. Wow. Mm. Yeah. Wow. Well, it does make perfect sense that this song was co-opted for that era, at least yeah. by. Dave, Dave Prue's uh -huh. Company of Marines, as June described, even if, again, if that was not necessarily Nikki's intention for the lyrics. And that is, to me, the beauty of a great song, is when oh, someone yeah. or a group of people can take it in personally and make it a part of their own experience. Yeah. And that's what, for, for Dave's company in Vietnam, that's what they did. They, it was played on the radio station and they adopted as their, you know, company song. But to wow. me, that's what's good about any really, really good song. I mean, it, music really, it's the only universal language we have. Yeah, 
All of the leads on this song are amazing. June's guitar lead, Nikki's piano lead that, you know, and even if you if you listen, Jeannie's almost playing lead bass underneath Nikki's keyboard. Yeah, absolutely. All of you killed it on this song. This is just incredible. And I so can hear the Santana reference that Jeannie was talking about earlier. You know, and and if we as we've been talking about here on the podcast, the idea of listening to Fanny through early 1970s ears as opposed to now 2020 years, mm-hmm. I love hearing Jean too get to experience Fanny for now yeah. versus then. Yeah, I love that. I also want to let the listeners know that we corrected a mistake um, when we did the real gone reissue. Uh, a Rhino Handmade had put. I mean, they loaded every CD with the maximum amount of stuff they could put on a CD, but they screwed up. Um, Place in the Country, they took the single version. And the real, the song on the album is a good 45 seconds or so longer. And so I asked Real Gone if they would please go back and find the LP version, which they did, and they remastered it and put it on the uh, CD issue. And I'm like, you know, you guys, we're not the Rolling Stones, we're not the Grateful Dead, but you just don't do that mm. to an artist. You don't put out oh, a, no. a retrospective of their music or a collection of their music and not put the LP version on it. Oh, absolutely. absolutely. Yeah. Definitely. Yeah. I completely agree. Well, yeah. this was the full version that we listened to yes, today. Yeah, that's the full version. Yeah. Mm-hmm. All right, Kristen. Ha! Huh. I'm I'm kind of like, I have to catch my breath after that. I remember how hard it was to play that double time all the way through that song. But uh, we've got a... It's brilliant. Thank you. And we've got another episode (laughs) coming up. And um, we do. I think we have a couple of surprises, maybe. We do. We have a surprise that we are doing our second Get Behind Fanny podcast contest. Woohoo! <laughs> <Bells with laughs> this <old> time, Fanny. <laughs> clap, 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 clap. Yeah. This time it's Gene's bass playing. So, Byron, as a bass yes. player, what did you come up with for Gene's clip? Well, um, I always dug deep into several of these things. And sometimes some of her better playing gets kind of, uh, it's, I don't want to say buried, but it's in there with the guitars and, mm-hmm. and the keyboards and all that. So, and so it's kind of hard to sing all that. So I picked out a bunch of stuff where you can actually uh, kind of pick her out. So let cool. me play that for cool. you. You know what? I I followed. That's great, Byron. I was following along. I was I was picking out the song, and then all of a sudden, it was like, "What the hell was that song?" Yeah, same, <laughs> same. I was about fifty fifty. So good job, Byron. Yeah, yeah. I, I, I didn't want to make it too hard, but at the same time, you just don't want to, you know, it's I mean, hard. Yeah. It's hard, yeah. definitely. Yeah. It's not going to be and, easy. No. 
And the contest prize this time is going to be a Fanny book of photography by the photographer Linda Wolf, who mm -hmm. was not only a friend of Fanny's, but she lived at Fanny Hill with the band members. And she took the iconic no parking photos with Nikki Jean, June and Alice and Nikki Shelty mm -hmm. off to the <laughs> right. <laughs> yep. So uh, we put together, she put together a book and that will be the contest prize. Oh, that's cool. cool. So mm -hmm. Byron, let's play it one more time. Yeah. And Everybody who's going to send in their answers, if you have to go back and listen to it another couple times, here's another well, chance yeah. for you. <laughs> I love the ending. Yeah, me too. <laughs> so you can send in your answers to all of our social media. Make sure if you don't want to give away your answers to do it, private message, direct message, whatever. And we will make our decision on the next podcast. We will be pulling from a hat. Yes. So Byron, <laughs> remind everybody of how they can reach us. You bet. On uh, Twitter at rocks underscore Fanny. Then on Instagram at Fanny under, oops, give me Fanny rocks underscore 1970. And on Facebook as Fanny Rock Band. And on YouTube, just Fanny Rocks. And drop by the official Fanny website at FannyRocks.com. And you can send us an email right there. And the hashtags for asking questions on social media is Ask Alice, June Jams, Jean Genie, and Nikki Notes. Cool. And also on the next episode, because we have had plenty of people write in about the song Solid Gold, oh, which geez. is, <laughs> this is Alice's second foray into singing vocals for Fanny. And just to be honest, whenever she and I discuss it, I get to watch her cringe in pain, oh. <laughs> which I do not like seeing, but people yeah. really want to hear about this song. So we're going to be discussing that. We're also going to be discussing Fanny's cover of Stephen Stills' song, Special Care. So let's listen to some solid gold. Uh, well, I'm taking my headphones off now. <laughs> okay. That's it. I can't do okay, it. That, okay, that's right. fine, Alice, but we're still going to listen to a bit of it. It's number one. Oh, I can't wait. And, you know, Nikki was ahead of her time because she said Hall of oh, Fame. Yeah. And that is oh, our yeah. goal on this podcast yes, is to get right. Fanny into the Rock and Roll <laughs> Hall of Fame. So way to go. That's Don't right. you think, Alice? Uh-oh. <laughs> <laughs> Alice? Alice? Gotta, Alice? You can come back now. It's over. <laughs> Click your heels twice and return home. That's right. <laughs> You guys, you don't realize how hard it, and I'll talk about it. I'm, oh, you know, I'll let it go. Oh, yeah. We'll do it. We'll deal with it. But uh, well, oh, yeah. your fans who want to hear about this song also want to know how you got prepared to leave <laughs> <laughs> to sing the vocals, and we will be sharing more secrets on the next episode. Right. Yes. Also, Nikki specifically, Alice, am I right that Nikki specifically wanted you to sing this song, even though she wrote it? Oh, she was adamant. 
Cool. You know, well, I can't wait to hear. Oh, it, she was adamant about it, and you know, she was kind of a tough cookie to to say no to. So I, I caved. You know, but you caved with help, and we'll be discussing. That. Yeah, yeah. But I, I just can't take this anymore. I'm I'm done. I'm done. You know, Byron, that's a wrap. Yep. A pivot. Hit it. <laughs> I'm still keeping my headphones off if we do that. <laughs> <laughs>